Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And I'm here with Tom Dorian. Yes, sir. And Sam Rodriguez. That's me. A.K.A. Ziggy. And so we are here to, uh, I guess, to enlighten the world, to bring light, to lighten your load, to... How, what other kind of light and light, lightly things can we talk about? I don't know, I think you covered it. Light seasoning on the food? I don't know. We're, we're transitioning into our topic already so soon uh, because I think we have a lot to talk about today. And I'm so excited because we're going to talk about the Transfiguration. Mm. And while we know that the Feast of the Transfiguration doesn't hit us until August, interestingly, the, the reading, Luke's Gospel uh, in the ninth chapter, talking about the transfiguration, um, comes to us in the second week of Lent, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so it's like, well, what are we going? What, what? Why would that be? You know, what, what? What is it that the church wants us to know during Lent that would require us to read the transfiguration? So we're going to talk a little bit about that today, and I suppose that if we were going to talk about the transfiguration, we might want to just define a few terms. Mm-hmm. Kind of talking about what is the transfiguration all about? Okay, you know, let's so let's break the word apart first. Transfiguration, mm-hmm. and trans uh, just means, I guess, you know, to move across something to right, where we get the words like transport or transfer or whatever, but really just to to change from here to there, mm-hmm. uh, and then figure is obviously. Form or shape, right? So we're changing shape, changing form. There's a big change going on, mm-hmm. right? And so a lot of times we think the transfiguration, and we don't really know, um, you know, what that actually means, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of people confuse it with transubstantiation, which is another kind of trans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that refers to the substance of the body. Uh, or of the bread and the wine changing to become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Another wonderful Catholic teaching. But the transfiguration is what we're focusing on today and why the church would be asking us to, um, to sort of dip into this and study. So I'm just going to like put Sam on the hot seat. All right, right Sam, tell us Why? Well, when it comes there to should have been a longer pause there because at least think like, <laughs> act like you had to think, and not you had this brilliant answer just right at the tip of your tongue. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, that's enough time. So tell us why you think we're going there. Well, if we put it in the context of the passion narrative, Peter, James, and John, yes, they were all at the Transfiguration, but they were also at the Passion. You know, and at the Passion, uh, Peter denied Christ. James along with the other apostles, ran. John did follow Christ up the hill at Calvary. However, all three of them were there in the Garden of Gethsemane. All three of them fell asleep when Christ said, hey, all those sufferings I've been talking about, all those sufferings that the Son of Man must endure, that's happening tonight. Mm -hmm. You know, that's happening tonight. And all three of them couldn't stay awake with him that night. But all three of them had this memory of the transfiguration, not just all of the the miracles that Christ has performed throughout his ministry, but something that no prophet has ever, uh, you know, done in in the course of uh, their their tenure uh, on earth. 
Jesus appearing uh, just full of the heaven's light, you know, with Moses right. and Elijah being there so palpably, so in such a real way that even uh, they thought that they were going to be there for a while and they needed to make tents for them, for them to see a cloud descend upon Christ and a voice say, this is my son. Mm-hmm. Listen to him. They had that experience and they had that memory. And yet, when the passion happened, boom, James runs. Boom, Peter denies him. <laughs> boom, they all fall asleep. And, and I just wanted to kind of explore that. Yeah, so you, do you think it's significant that they all fell asleep there and also at Gethsemane? You know, here, you know, they're all sleepy-headed. You know, do you, do you think there's a do you think there's a um, this idea that the scripture wants us to to understand that so many times, you know, God comes to us and, and makes Himself available to us and 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 we're just we're just tired we just we don't want to pay attention and I understand we have to sleep, but it just seems like you know in hindsight we all look at it and go like those guys are idiots. <laughs> You're going up. You're going up a mountain. You know, Jesus says, "Come on up with me, boys." There's going to be something exciting going up the top of this mountain. You're like going, "Hey, can we lay down and take a nap?" Because I'm just, I'm kind of tired. But I, I just think that may be symbolic of our own life and and how we we really we fall asleep at the wheel, as it were, as 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 when we live life, we're really not always looking at every waking moment as an opportunity for Christ to come to us and to reveal to us who he is and what he has in store for us and to help us to see that. And I just, I, I would, I would, I, that's one of the things I take away from this little, um, sure. this story here is that like those guys, you know, they're always falling asleep, you know? And it's like, I, I'm thinking maybe I shouldn't go to sleep anymore. I should just sit there and just wait, you know, and tap my finger. You know, my wife would go like, what are you doing? I'm waiting for Jesus because something big's going to happen. Maybe it's not like that, but I don't know. I just, the, I love to see the, the similarities and the things that happen in Scripture, right? And, and the fact that, I, I love the fact that, that they, well, you mentioned several things in what you just talked about that we can, I think we can explore. One is Jesus, uh, you know, you know, reveals his divinity before them, right? And and obviously they're dumbfounded. And, and Peter, you know, the he's the natural leader of the bunch, right? The first thing he does is like goes, "Well, Master, it's good that we're here." You know, it's like, it's, it's like, the, it's like the the biggest understatement ever in the Bible. I'm so glad I'm here right now. And it's like, well, that's nice. But but even so, Scripture goes on to say that Jesus did. I mean, that Peter didn't know what he was doing. Yes. I mean, it literally says that. He didn't know what was happening. I mean, you... you, you like, re- cut him some slack. Well, his idea is like, we're going to build some tents. Let's build some tents. First thing I want to do is build some booths. Let's, let's, we're going to set up little booths, and everyone gets a booth, and we're going to worship, and we're going to adore, and we're going to, you know, uh, put all these people on pedestals, and we're going to do these things. It's like, Peter, chill. You don't know what you're doing. Just, you know, relish this moment. Maybe right that's the here. whole point of all this. There's just the humanness of them, how human those guys really were. Oh, they that's were, good for us really to know. We really are that. just like that. We we are just like that. I mean, well, I think you're exactly right. It it, it teaches us that um, we're not always going to get it right off the bat. And even if we were selected to be the first pope, mm-hmm. we'd make mistakes. We we would be brash. We would we just kind of like go out of our heads. Right. And go. I don't, what am I supposed to do? You know. <laughs> Could you imagine going from never having seen Moses and Elijah in your life mm-hmm. to all of a sudden, like your, your guy who's your, who's become your really close friend is all of a sudden like, uh, being revealed as God by God, the father. And all of a sudden you're hanging out with Moses and Elijah. And it's so real 
that it's not like a vision. You really think this is my life now. I'm friends with Moses and Elijah. They're buddies of mine. Oh yeah, <laughs> and we better build a tent. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you know, he's going down the hill. You know, and he's name dropping. <laughs> So like I was hanging, hanging with my my boys uh, Moses and Elijah. Y'all know him, right? Y'all heard about him in the scriptures. Well, you know, interesting. Again, um, I I don't know if if they were able to piece it all together, but you know, we've had a couple thousand years of theologians looking at this, right? Mm-hmm. And so we we look at this and go, okay, there's Jesus, and who's he talking to? Moses and Elijah, and and that's significant because Moses is the bringer of the law. And and Elijah represents the greatest of the prophets, right? So it's like we see that and go, oh, see, this is this is perfect. The law points to Jesus Christ. The prophets point to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one, the promised one. He is the Messiah. He's the Christ. And now they're seeing he's divine, mm. right? That these rays of light are shooting out his fingertips and out his hair. You know, they're just they're seeing this. Uh, you know, and 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 maybe again, and they're hearing a proclamation. Oh uh, yes, of course. And this great voice from the sky right. comes and says, "Order number five thirty-seven. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> this great, this great voice comes and and says that you know th- that this is my son. Right, this is my chosen son. Listen to him. Right now, again, the scriptures tell us that Peter did not know what he was saying. He didn't know what was going on. So I don't know if all that stuff hit them but i do know that later when jesus says i'm going to send you another counselor mm. the paraclete the holy spirit and he's going to he's going to bring to your remembrance all that i've taught you all that i've commanded you to do and everything you need to know to build a church mm. he's going to give to you and i'm sure afterwards they're going like oh they were probably they didn't have to have a candle lit cuz the light bulbs went on over their heads constantly after jesus had ascended into heaven right certainly as the holy spirit had come down upon them all of a sudden they're going like, oh, this all makes sense now. Well, I think also it's a beautiful thing from a Trinitarian perspective because all this time Jesus has been pointing them to our Heavenly Father and saying, we have an Abba. We have a Daddy upstairs. He's been pointing to Abba, and now Abba's pointing down to him. He's pointing Jesus out to them, saying, this is my Son, and commanding them yeah. As Abba, listen to him. I, I, I know, and I think that's neat. And, you know, that, that actually harkens me back to the other time that a voice from a cloud comes, and that's at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it is baptism, and there's a voice from the cloud that comes. Right. right. And, again, it's Trinitarian because there, um, you know, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus as a dove while mm-hmm. he's getting baptized, and, and then the Father um, it says, calls out to him, you know, you are my beloved son with you I am well pleased. So that's an acknowledgement of the Father to the Son, right? Mm. But now later in Jesus' ministry, now we don't know exactly when this takes place, but many people, many theologians and scripture scholars will say that this is later mm-hmm. as Jesus was wrapping up uh, his ministry in Galilee. And, and now we have, look, I'm preparing you for everything. You're being prepared. And again, we see it in hindsight. Uh, and maybe they didn't see it then, but... Uh, we can sit there and watch this and go like, oh, man, this is step 437 in a 500-step plan. I mean, we're, we're watching this stuff kind of unroll. And then that's what I love about Scripture. I love, I love the whole story. I love the church because you start to realize all this stuff pieces together. Mm-hmm. It's, they're not isolated incidents. They're not just sort of separated like, well, you know, today for no apparent reason, Jesus transfigured. 
you know, mm-hmm. and now on to the next thing. It's it's not like that. Mm-hmm. Everything's connected. Everything has been prepared for, and it's preparing you for something else. It's taking you on a journey, the great journey of salvation, the great journey of life. And so we have uh, a little more journeying to do in this particular show. So we're going to talk more about the transfiguration and maybe why it would even be relevant to us today. Why should we care about it um, as we're reading it during Lent? Um, and uh, I also want to, uh, but we're going to take a break before we do that because we're setting up the next half of the show. Before we do that, I want to remind you uh, at home that we've got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Um, also, Oh, also, please uh, like us on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter. Please follow us there as well and like our posts and share our posts and comment because it really does make a difference and it help us, helps us to, uh, to grow, expand, get the word out. Yeah, yes. Exactly right. And also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski. And this is another great moment in church history. Many non-Catholics who visit a Catholic church to attend a funeral or wedding are curious about some of the gestures made by the faithful during worship, including crossing themselves and genuflecting. One of the distinctive marks of the Catholic and Orthodox Christians is the practice of making the sign of the cross. This gesture, which often begins and ends prayers, is made by tracing a cross on the body by touching the forehead, lower chest, and both shoulders, while saying, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thus, each Catholic prayer begins and ends by invoking the Most Blessed Trinity, and reminds the faithful that they are indelibly marked with the cross of the crucified Christ. This sign also makes each spoken prayer liturgical in that the whole body is used in the act of worship. Making the sign of the cross is one of the most ancient Christian gestures, which is well known and referenced by early church fathers. Writing in the second century, Tertullian explains that in all our travels and movements, in bathing, working, and eating, Christians must mark their foreheads with the sign of the cross. Another early church father, St. Cyril of Jerusalem, exhorts the faithful that they should not be ashamed of Christ crucified, and the cross should be our seal, made with our fingers on our brow in the various events of our day-to-day life. Genuflecting, or the act of kneeling on one or two knees and then rising again, is an ancient act showing respect and devotion to royalty or any superior and recognition of that person's authority. Since the Middle Ages, the faithful have genuflected in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament in recognition of the reality that hidden in the tabernacle under the guise of bread is Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Customarily, Catholics genuflect both when entering the presence of the Blessed Sacrament and upon leaving its presence. In the Eastern Christian churches, usually this respect is shown by a profound bow rather than by kneeling. Both the sign of the cross and genuflection are liturgical acts of prayer and worship, reminding the faithful that they are indelibly marked with the sign of the cross and that the true King of the universe deserving of worship lies hidden in the tabernacle of every Catholic church. I'm Bess and this is another great moment in church history.
Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And I am Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe here with Ziggy and Patrick. Yeah. Present. Patty. Present. Hi. Patty Dorian. Hi, and, yeah. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, we're talking about the transfiguration and why we might be um, hearing this in Lent. Right as we're preparing to, for the uh, the beautiful sacred mysteries, the great mysteries of Easter. So uh, before we do that, I do want to mention one other thing that I'd kind of jotted down as something that just kind of c- came to mind. I remember if I was looking for proofs that that the scriptures would reveal that Jesus was wrong or that he was not God. Mm. Right, we're trying to trip up Jesus. I'm kind of playing the part of a Pharisee or a Sadducee here, right? You know, and I remember as a younger man, you know, having my doubts and saying, "See, it says right here. This disproves all that stuff you Christians are talking about." And uh, one of those is like it happens right before the transfiguration. A lot of people don't recognize this, but in Luke chapter nine, verse twenty-seven. Jesus is talking about, and earlier on, Jesus is talking about, this is the stuff about what the Son of Man must do, you know, uh, suffer greatly, and then he's talking about, you've got to take up your own cross, right? And then he looks out to them, and he says, in verse 27, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And people hear that and go like, wait a second, preacher, preach on that. Why is it that Jesus predicted that he would come again, it would be the end of the world before these people, that some people here would not taste death? Are those people still alive 2,000 years later? And I remember thinking that, because I'd heard that argument, but if you really understand the transfiguration for what it is, what, is it, what does Jesus actually say? Some, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. What is it that, that Peter... James and John see when they see the transfigured Jesus. They see his divinity. They see the kingdom of God, yeah. right on earth, and they and they and so they are they they are basically it's revealed to them, right when Jesus is transfigured before them. The kingdom of God is laid out before them. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, Jesus is like setting us up to say, "What is this kingdom of God you speak of, Lord? Let me show you." You know, and all of a sudden, yeah. the transfiguration. That was actual audio from the transfiguration. Yeah, they found no, the, the, the hidden the hidden audio. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those of you who are good. for those of you who are wondering, like, well, okay, that's all great. Jesus is God, and all that stuff. And we read this in the Bible, and it happened. But why does this really apply to me now? And why does the church answer that stupid question you started thing out with? Why does the church have us read this during Lent and not mm-hmm. during the transfiguration only? So, here's the thing. You know, Sam, at the beginning, you talked about that we're seeing the transfiguration in light of the passion. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lent is done sort of in light of the passion, mm-hmm. right? We're being prepared not only for the, 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 the great Easter mysteries, the great the, the resurrection, which a lot of us think like, hey, Easter Sunday, that's the day this is all about, Lent's about. It's really preparing us for the passion, which is more than just the resurrection, mm-hmm. right? It's the suffering and the death. Mm-hmm. And so Lent is preparing us for the suffering and the death. And what's so beautiful, if you read the catechism, uh, I've read it once or twice, you know, here and there. You know, I won't say I read the whole thing. I shouldn't be admitting this to everyone. But, the, but my point is, I'm just kidding. Um, so what's going on here, with the, what the uh, catechism helps us to understand is that the transfiguration is there to strengthen the apostles. Mm. Right. right? So think about this. You know, have you ever heard, uh, like, when something bad's getting ready to happen, that somehow, some way, 
that that there's some light that comes to you. There's there's some there's some grace that comes to you to prepare you for what's getting ready to happen. Yeah, an angel was sent down in the Garden of Gethsemane to strengthen Jesus during his act. To minister to him. Yeah. The diaconia, right? The deacon. Yeah. Uh, the angel deacon was there to strengthen Jesus. And and so it's like to prepare for something big, a big trial that's coming. Well, certainly, you know, in Lent, we are preparing for the trial of uh, Holy Week, you know, mm. it certainly it culminates in uh, the resurrection. We know the end of the story. But ultimately, for us to sit and focus on, uh, we can get bound up in the in Good Friday mm. and not see the good in it, and see see what they may saw, seen two thousand years ago. Right? Why the apostles were in the upper room, like shaking for fear of the Jews? Right. Right. We might fall into that fear sometimes in life. We still run from our crosses. Amen. And uh, you know, and and so here's the deal. I, I think that this idea of this of this light before the storm, right? This this guiding light that that essentially God gives us everything we need to get whatever through whatever trial is going to be laid before us and whatever the devil has in store for us. God gives us that strength, right? And so in Jesus's transfiguration, these apostles got a strength and a courage and a uh, a vision and a connection with eternity, so they knew whatever was getting ready to happen, even if they didn't fully understand it, mm-hmm. that they'd be prepared for that eventuality. How beautiful that and is! And they got to live it and take it in with their senses. It was something that they themselves got to point to in their walk with Christ. It was experiential. Yeah, exactly. And, and and what's so neat about that, and what and what I think is cool about that is 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 it's not isolated to that moment two thousand years ago. Right. So often we think the scriptures are a history book, and it's something that happened. When in reality, it's a living history in the sense that it happened, but it's something that we're gonna we, that, that's going to help us in life today. It's relevant today. So two thousand years later, we have our own storms, we have our own problems, our own divisions, our own sufferings, and we have our own trials that we have to overcome. That we have to that well, let's just say we have to encounter, and sometimes we think we can't overcome them. And then, but but I guess my point in all this is that, based on this scripture, I I think that God reaches out to us, and there are transfigurational moments in our lives, even if we don't see a man standing there with his arms outstretched, you know, in garments wider than a fuller could uh, could create, you know, that 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 essentially there are moments of grace in our lives, and maybe it's the Eucharist, maybe it's receiving the Eucharist, maybe it's it's going to confession, maybe it's. Um, a spouse, you know, saying something to you that you go like, wow, I needed that right there at that moment. You think about those things that hit you at a certain moment, just, you know, the calm before the storm, but in that moment of preparation before something, some big trial's getting ready to happen, and all of a sudden you realize you just had a transfigurational moment. Right. That's, that's to me, that's powerful. And that I just think that's one of the reasons why the, the church would want us to look at the transfiguration. Absolutely. And the notion of God's going to reveal himself to each of us in a deeply personal way. He loves us each in a deeply personal way. And yet, even when we've had the experiences of, gee, I trusted in Jesus and he proved himself trustworthy. Mm. Gee, I'm loved by God. And I know that I'm loved by God as a matter of faith. Still, even then, we later end up running from Jesus or running from crosses in our life, we end up 
denying him yeah. his lordship over our life by succumbing to sin. We end up falling asleep at the switch. You know, all of those things we end up doing. So what what at the end of the story, though, like with these apostles? Oh, they're saints. Yeah. They all come Boom. back. It ends up uh, in a wonderful way for them. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think that if we look at life from the perspective of that Jesus loves us, that God is always there, and like the 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 father of the prodigal son that he waits for us, not only waiting for us, that he, that he runs out to greet us, um, that we, we should always know that, um, that he, he's always going to give us the graces that we need to get through whatever it is that we encounter. Uh, and in that way, um, we can have faith, right? I mean, and so right. it's like ultimately what the transfiguration was for those apostles was hope. I mean, right. it's like, it's like, it's like and, and you said it, Sam, it's, it's not only... Um, some kind of spiritual hope, but essentially it's like real. It's there. It's palpable. They could see it. They could feel it. They experienced it in in their bodies as well as their souls. Uh, And it was like deep down and profound. And that hope just probably reverberated through their bodies. And you wonder how it is they had strength to do all the things that they had to encounter throughout Scripture. And one thing that comes to mind as well is if we take all of this to say that in this call to sainthood, that they fulfilled, that we're all called to be Christ to one another, that Christ desires to incarnate himself in us. Well, as we were saying earlier, Christ Christ was pointing to God. And what did God do? God the Father pointed back to him. Mm -hmm. And that when Jesus tells the apostles, he says, he who receives you receives me. If they reject you, they reject me. That if we're doing things in his name and we're stepping out in faith, we don't need to point to ourselves. We can trust that the Holy Spirit will testify to us and say, this is my son. He's going to do it. Amen. So the thing is, what transfiguration moments do you have out there, right? So what, Mm. in each of our lives, like when has God sent a light, right, a light into your everyday life to give you hope and to prepare you for some trial, right? We're all going to have those. And the reality is we really have those every day of our lives. If only we have eyes to see. If we only just sort of pay attention and look around us, God is sending us a light somewhere. His Son is present to us somehow uh, in some situation, and that's exactly what we need to realize. And I think that having a transfiguration moment is one of those things that a lot of people don't realize they do have. But if you open your eyes, especially of your heart, you're going to see those. And also, we love our Blessed Mother, and she's going to lead us to a transfigurational moment and lead us to her Son. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.